Nyata, hello. It's Alison here from Sanctuary, a church in southwest Victoria. I was feeling despondent, so I went for a walk, and I came across a flock of red-browed finches. They were darting back and forth across the path, cheeping merrily at each other. And they said to me, Learn from us. Look how happy we are in our little flock, flitting between sun and shade. And I said, But where is my little flock? I don't know anymore, and I I seem to be stuck in the shadows. It's been a year and then some. I've been to a bunch of funerals in the last 12 months, and that's just the important people. Add in all the friends of my parents and parents of my friends and people my age I've had dinner with who've died, and the deaths are well into the double digits. Meanwhile, loved ones are sick and suffering. Friends' mental health is unravelling. Colleagues are bursting into tears at strange moments. And so am I. I know I'm not alone in this. We're a congregation that has seen a lot of death in the last 12 months. A lot of sickness, a lot of suffering. And like many congregations in Victoria, we're experiencing post-lockdown fragmentation, even trauma. Any given week, many of us are too busy, too sick or too exhausted by the reality of COVID normal to turn up to church. Families and kids have lost the habit, perhaps never to be regained. And any sense of momentum or a bright, shiny future has evaporated. Mostly, we're just plodding. And then there's the big stuff. The war in Ukraine and floods up north and species loss and post-colonial realities and endless injustice and persecution of folk and the swing to the vicious right. On and on and on it goes. There are many days when I can't read the news. So I'm feeling bleak. A surprise reminder of a friend's recent death. The reminder of the absence and the tears roll down. Another small gathering of a fragmented congregation, and I wonder where the life is. A news report of a planned coal mine, destruction of a sacred site, and I rage and weep. Violence and death are everywhere. I'm in mourning, I'm in pain, I'm stuck in the shadows, and I've forgotten where my flock is. So I turn to the book of Revelation. It's a weird old thing, a long, trippy letter written by a poet in exile, and it was written to seven little flocks, and boy were those flocks in trouble. They were being torn apart by persecution. They were being thrown into prison. Their people were being executed. They were struggling with conflict, they were struggling with false teachings, and they were struggling within themselves for what it means to be the church. They intimately knew tears and death, for they were living the pain of a ruptured world. To these people, the poet writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and that old agent of chaos and destruction, the sea, was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down as a bride, 
And I heard a loud voice saying, See, God's home is among mortals. God will dwell among them as their God. They will be God's peoples, and God's self will be with them. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. Now it's possible that the poet had his head in the clouds or had eaten some magic mushrooms. It's possible to hear these words and think, he's out of touch with reality. Life is hard, death is real, everything's going down the gurgler and the world's going to hell. But what if something else is going on? What if John's letter, this revelation, this uncovering, is a vision of how things really are? A world where God's in charge and as we regularly pray, heaven and earth are reconciled and all things are made one in Christ. And what if these words are not hollow comfort, but passionate protest, enlivening hope? But if this is the case, then what hope can this be? Well, there are two dominant ways of reading Revelation. The first we might call pie in the sky till you die, and it's epitomised by the Left Behind series. This way of reading is all about death. Life itself doesn't actually matter very much. All you're really doing is making sure you've got a ticket so that when you die, you'll go to heaven and praise God forever. And then at the end times, God will swallow up death by uh, killing a whole lot of people and then sending them to a place of eternal suffering. All the rest of us will live blissfully in a new creation. And as for what this new creation is, more than one person I know thinks it's probably a planet under construction in one of heaven's workshops. So I'd summarise this first reading by saying it's all about escape from the world, and God is both a violent avenger and slutty bark fast. Unsurprisingly, perhaps, there's been a backlash to this life-denying approach, and this brings me to a second way of reading. We might call this approach saving the world. And it's focused on human action. Because readers like me have noticed that the new Jerusalem has come down to earth, bringing God's kingdom culture without it. It's not that we go up to heaven, but the heaven has arrived here and now on this earth. And so the emphasis is not on escaping the earth for an afterlife or planet B. Instead, it's about bringing about God's kingdom culture in this world now. A culture in which empire is disarmed once and for all, and peace and justice reign. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeking justice and peace and cleaning up waterways and campaigning for the things that matter. Indeed, caring for the earth and its peoples is very good work and a healthy outcome of following Jesus. The problem comes when we effectively erase God. We forget that people have tried and failed for centuries to bring about healthy churches and good government and peace and justice for all. We ignore the deep realities of sin in institutions and in ourselves. And so we work and work and work and there's no end to the work. 
We have no time for worship or walks or the chirrups of finches. We become discouraged. Eventually, we burn out. And all of us can probably think of people who have lost their faith due to this focus on human striving. But there is a third way, a way that is neither pie in the sky nor saving the world. And this is to read Revelation as a liturgical text, a worship text. This way of reading begins with the assumption that it's written to a worshipping community, which, like the first recipients of John's letter, bears the pain of a ruptured world. It assumes that the worshipping community is grappling with grief and sin and death, and so it reminds us that God's love is so vast, yet so intimate, that God's self will reach out and gently wipe away the tears from every eye. Reading Revelation liturgically recognises that God is at the centre of things and that God has pitched a tent among us and it trusts that only God brings about the end of empire and the restoration of all creation. Only God swallows up death forever. Only God integrates all things. But it doesn't leave us passive. As the body of Christ, the worshipping community is not called to fix or save the world, but it is called to embody God's new creation in itself. It's not called to focus on an afterlife, but it is called to be a sign of God's future, a glimpse of the fullness that is yet to come. It's called to form a community which bears the pain of the world even as it points to God's newness and life and tenderness and hope. In this way of reading, the worshipping community is called to celebrate the marriage of earth and heaven, the material with the spiritual, bread and wine and word and breath. It's called to embody economic justice and creation care in everything it does. It's called to build loving relationships between radically diverse individuals and people groups. And most of all, it's called to trust God so completely that like birds of the air, we no longer worry or strive. For a trusting community can embrace rhythms of work and worship and rest and play, knowing that all things are in God's hands. As I read Revelation liturgically, thinking about those tiny struggling churches way back when, and our tiny struggling church now, I go back to the red-browed finches. Learn from us, they said to me. Look how happy we are in our little flock, flitting between sun and shade. And in this moment of worship, in liturgical time, I lean into the vision where all things are reconciled and finches and ministers chat. I think about our little group these days, no bigger than a flock of finches. I think of how a flock ebbs and flows, one taken by an eagle, another going off alone, a little hatchling here, a newcomer there. Individuals may come and go, but the flock continues on.
I think about how some of us are in the sun and some are in the shade and most of us are flitting between them. We are cheeping at each other, telling stories of our lives, pointing to gospel seeds and springs of living water and mustard bushes and shelter. We're not eagles or foxes or feral cats, just little birds, short-lived, vulnerable, but filled with the Spirit's breath. And deep in the shadows, other birds are watching, and perhaps they might join the dance. And I remember that Christ is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and that all things are reconciled in Christ. Not just the good things, the happy things, the beautiful things, but all things. The hard, the bleak, the sad, the suffering, the pain and the death. The physical and the spiritual, the human and the non-human, women and birds. All these things and more are gathered up in Christ. And suddenly there's a break in the clouds and I'm ridiculously happy as a realisation hits me. That this means you and me and us together in all our sadness and stories and gladness and pain. For you're my little flock, my finches. I'll leave you with that image. But there's always more to read on our website. That's sanctuarybaptist.org. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters. And if you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal. And you'll find the details for this on the website. This recording was made on the lands of the Peak Warring people of the Eastern Ma Nation. And I pay my respects to Elders past and present. This week, grasses are sending out new green shoots. Grevilleas are covered with red fireworks. And the local corrier has a smattering of soft pink stars. The peace of the land be with us all. Amen. <laughs>